Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, so Ben, hey, how you doing, buddy? Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm doing very well, thank you. Good, good. Um, so keen listeners will remember you from an earlier conversations we've had in the season. Um... I kind of know you as like a Swansea tactics aficionado, um, heavy on the data <laughs> side of things as well across that. And uh, yeah, really good for getting an oversight of Swansea. And um, yeah, I know we're in a couple of chats and uh, your takes are always good and uh, straight to the point. Um, how are you feeling about this? Like, how's um, We're here for, to chat about the playoff final. What's your um, what's your emotions like? Oh, well, the overriding one's got to be happiness, surely. I mean, I think... Brentford fans, Swansea fans, even though we had hopes during mid-season of automatic promotion, if you'd got off at a playoff final 90 minutes from Wembley, I think anyone would have taken it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, extremely excited. I mean, I get to go as well, which is huge. I'm really looking forward to that. So, yeah, happy to talk about it. Can't wait for Saturday now. We should let the listeners in and uh, let them know this. You're at the semi-final as well, um, the home tie. That was the 1-1 draw with Barnsley. Yeah. Um, enjoyable experience? extremely enjoyable i mean I, I don't think i'd be saying that if we lost obviously but um <laughs> but no i mean the second leg it was almost a mirror image of the first leg really i think uh oh two well not screamers but two very good goals from iu and grimes from outside the box and they're actually on the same minute in the first half to have the same scoreline going in a half time you, you know i think we just match barnsley very well i think we're one of very few teams in the league that are able to deal with their style which is saying quite a lot from where we were two years ago where we you know we were such a young squad getting bullied all the time um, I do feel bad for Barnsley because I do think um, overall I think they probably deserved extra time at, at the very least over mm-hmm. two legs to be honest with you but um, we grinded it out to, I think over the course of a season at you know playoff final I wouldn't say we're massively deserving I wouldn't say we're undeserving either but I, whether we deserve it or not we're there so uh, let's hope we can capitalise on it mm. Yeah, so the narratives, well, everyone was sort of, from a media perspective, I guess, they were crying out for the, the pure footballing final of Brentford v Bournemouth or um, like the battle of the spreadsheets and uh, the smart data users, Barnsley v Brentford. Um, but yeah, we, we've got Swans v Bees. Um, do you think you've been like somewhat overlooked? Um, 
I don't know about overlooked. I think there's always some teams which are neutral prefer in the Premier League. I think it was. I think the most common one that people wanted was Barnsley Brentford because people want new teams in the Premier League. They want they root for the underdogs. I'd probably say Bournemouth for the ones which just the way I gauged it, people wanted the least because nobody really wanted the same three teams who came down to go straight back up because that's just boring. It would have been the same Premier League as uh, two years ago. Um, I don't know about overlooked. I think probably neutral. More people are probably looking to Brentford. You know, it's a better style of play, which, you know, the fans want. I think they probably got a better chance of staying up in the Premier League. I'm not trying to be a, a downer for Swansea if we do go up, because obviously it'll be a huge achievement. But you've seen the way Brentford have competed in the FA Cup over and over again and the League Cup over and over again with Premier League teams. So, um,. I think people just love the way Brentford work, especially the media, Sky Sports. Now, they did up every single game that you see them on TV. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's any hard feelings from Swansea fans. I think it's understandable why people are locking to Barnsley and Brentford as uh, two, two of like the more pioneering sort of teams set in the standards for what modern football clubs need to look like now. Yeah, I think it was. It's it's almost a bit romantic, isn't it? Like um, Brentford are like a high goal scoring team. So are Bournemouth. Um, similarities with Barnsley um Swansea are a little bit different compared to all of those other teams it shows up in their numbers um just before we came on I was just looking at some of um 538 numbers um like 27 goal difference in XG4 um (laughs) even in the end XG against it looks like you've conceded a bit more than us which was quite interesting because there was a there was a long period where you were um, well ahead um, non-shot XG conceded is where you show up a bit better than us maybe about 15 goals better um, sorry non-shot XG4 um, we're best, sorry we've created a bit more in that area as which you'd expect and then conceded um, which is also fascinating you've conceded more than us in that sort of area as well so I think that just sort of speaks to just allowing that that sitting deeper and allowing um, better better passes or, or or higher situations to develop and then defending them well and um, using Woodman in goal rather than um, just trying to do more higher up the pitch and prevent like teams coming at you. But shots four is quite low. I think um, four seven five. It looks like lower thirty percentile than measuring where Brentford are on six hundred eighteen, like the top thirty percentile. It's there's um I can see why people are looking at this and thinking it's it's not quite the final they wanted but I think it's a clash of styles and it should be um it should be a, a better matchup than we're expecting. Yeah, I mean I think Swansea do like to find the stats, don't they? I mean last season, I mean I'm taking you back a bit now, but uh this is the time when we still had Borja Bass at the club. We were top of the league after beating Leeds at the end of August. Everyone around the fan base was like Oh, Swansea are going to win the league. We had loads of new season ticket holders coming in a few games late because there was a bit of a false narrative going around that Cooper was going to come in straight away and turn things. But um, yeah, back-to-back seasons, we've kind of defied, especially the XG against statistics this season more so than last because uh, going into last season, I think we were actually one of the form teams in the league for the run-in. So there was a chance that we could have actually made the final on decent form. Um but no, this season, it's, it's an odd one to try and put your fi- uh, finger on, to be honest, because over 46 games, normally these sort of trends, these sort of false narratives get found out. And we did get found out. There was a time, if you remember, where Swansea were going to break the record for least goals conceded in the league of all time, which obviously <laughs> didn't happen. Because I feel like it was around the time we lost 4-1 to Huddersfield, we started shipping goals like mad for a brief period. And... um in that sense, we did get found out. But I think even then, I wouldn't. I haven't really checked the numbers, to be honest. But I wouldn't be surprised if we still conceded a lot less than we should have, even after conceding all those in the last like third of the season. Um, 
what I will say as well is if you look, look at the personnel, Mark Eehe, Freddie Woodman, that, you know, Freddie Woodman won the Golden Glove. Mm. Mark Eehe's probably, in my opinion, at least the best centre-back in the league. He'll be in the Premier League one way or another next season, maybe even with Chelsea. So I, I don't think it's so much that as a team we're poor or anything. We have some good personnel in there, but I think because of the style of play, like you say, we sit deep, we draw pressure, we allow key passes. We, we, we do sort of invite it on ourselves, and if we rely on major personnel, you know, quality players like Ehe and Woodman to kind of maybe that's skewing the stats a little bit, then it's what's got us here, whether that's a good thing or not. So I guess we just got to continue with that sort of methodology and see if it takes us to the Premier League. Yeah, so this was, of course, last year's semi-final, Brentford v Swansea. Um, you've gone a step further. Uh, Brentford have equaled the, the playoff final spot in the competition. Um, where's like Where do you think the main improvement's coming on, if there is any? Like, where do you think that's come from? I think it's maturity. I think if you take if you go back to last season's playoff semi final, you know we, we had the Rico Henry red card, which shouldn't have been a red card that got overruled. That you know messed up the first leg a bit, you could say. But like this year with Barnes, we had a one 0 lead going into the second leg, and right then you're looking for calm heads. You're looking to start, you know, keep it tight, don't be open. And uh, we conceded from a counter attack from a corner where we had like half a pitch of a gap between our centre-backs within the first 10 minutes. We were 2-0 down after 20 minutes. That wasn't the sign of a team that were ready. Uh, I think we're a lot more ready now than we were back then, a year ago, because of the way we dealt with our second leg with Barnsley. I, mean, I think when they equalised, Corley Woodrow equalised, it would have been so easy to crumble then, because Barnsley, they were putting on so much pressure. But everyone stayed calm, everyone uh, got their bodies on the line. I think now, obviously, you've had a couple of experienced players that have come in. Corey Smith's come in. Routledge has featured more. You had Conor Hurahan. These are players who have been there before, done this before. And that has really helped us see us through. And um, I think if we do go up, what we, we will believe in ourselves, despite the odds being sacked against us. I think now, I think last year, if we got through, we probably would have lost at Wembley anyway. Now, even though Brentford are the superior opposition, I, I, I do back us to at least make an interesting game. Because I, I, I do believe that this is one cohesive unit to know what they need to do to get the job done. Yeah, so both games in the league finished 1-1. Um, Carl Norton was sent off in the second match and uh, we couldn't capitalise on that. And you actually ended up equalising being down to 10 men. Um, you haven't really come out on the right side of many of these recent fixtures or ties, including the playoffs. Um, has, has that been down to style, like Cooper... Luck, uh, maybe, or maybe a combination of all of those? Um, well, when you say recent fixtures, if you look at the last six games, that's actually an improvement on the games we had before, surprisingly. It was only two wins, two draws, and two losses, nothing special. There were a couple of really poor performances mixed in. There were some decent ones. But um, before that, I mean, it looked like we were going to drop out of the playoff places. It was that bad. I think we went from being, well, I think it was like two points behind Norwich with a game in hand or four points, something like that, back in uh, the start of February. And it looked like, you know, it was a decent performance that day. We had a genuine chance of automatic promotion. The fast forward to Bournemouth uh, in the middle of March, and then we go on a run of four losses in a row without scoring a goal. You know, you, you're losing to Birmingham and Preston, who were two of the worst teams in the league at the time. And you're just thinking, we could actually fully do what Nottingham Forest did last season when we got in the playoffs on the last day. We could genuinely do that and see Reading jumping in front of us, I think. To, to be fair, right, it, it, a lot of the reason that we were on the poor side of these results is because we got found out. It, I know we'll talk a bit more about this later, but we had the back five for the vast majority of the season. and um, Or back three, back five, whichever you want to call it. And teams did seriously learn how to play against us. I think I could have told you 
exactly how to beat that back three, like definitively the the key areas of that system, that the flaws of all of them. And you, you know, you had Birmingham man marking us. Like this is this is what we were dealing with. You had you had teams ditching their regular systems to take up strategies that they never even tried before. And it was working because it was it had actually become that easy to beat us. So that switch to the back four um, that we had from uh, I think the Millwall was the first game. It really worked. That, that and you know we won three 0 We battered them that day. That switched the back four for the last six seven games. That's really what ensured that we even made the playoffs. So the fact we're in the playoff final now, it, I mean, it's credit to Steve Cooper that he made that tactical switch. To be quite honest, because it, you know it was a bold move. It's not really something he does that often. So. Um, yeah, on the wrong side of results, but I think I'm more confident that with the switch of system, we we have a better chance of winning from now. Mm, yeah, probably a good time to talk about, yeah, just explore a bit more about Cooper's tactical adaptions. Um, yeah, you definitely became synonymous with that solid and disciplined 3-5-2, um, but you changed the 4-3-3. Um, we'll probably explore, yeah, we'll try and explore a little bit more why that was. You you said a lot already about that. But conversely, we saw Brentford, who were really religiously 4-3-3. Um, they've actually switched to a 3-5-2 to get them over the line. Um, so, yeah, altering styles for both teams. Um, yeah, why do you think those reversals came about? We'll go with Swansea first, and then I'll probably try and explain a little bit about Brentford. But I, I think there's similar problems that they were trying to solve, and it's it's worked because we both got into the playoffs. But yeah, playoffs. Sorry, why did you why do you think they came about then? Yeah, I mean the the three five two we had it was just because we got found out. It was getting to the point where our wing backs, so Connor Roberts and Jake Bidwell, they were just getting pinned back some of the time because the opposition would leave their wingers up. There was man, uh, Matt Grimes just being man marked. And it was it became quite obvious to the opposition that if you man mark Mac Rhymes, then we can't progress the ball. So then it just turned into a thing where, all right, our wing backs aren't forward to play the ball forward to. You've got Mac Grimes who can't get on the ball to progress. We have to hoof it long. And then Andre Ayo and Jamal Lowe, they're not particularly brilliant in the air, neither of them are that tall. They're not weak by any means, but you know, some of the centre backs are coming up against the championship. They're not really prepared to win the first balls, and even if they did win the first balls, it'd often be flick-ons, and there'd be no one there. I think our second ball percentage or win rate was very, very low throughout that period. So uh, overall, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the problem we had at the time as well was that we fatigued a lot. We didn't have that big a squad. It was basically low and IU playing every single game. Liam Cullen did come into it, but he got injured for three months. He is back now, but we were missing him a lot as well. Um, so yeah, we just didn't have the depth in the right areas as well. But the switch to the four-three-three, it's not so much that the styles changed. It's just now is the good thing. If you asked me to explain to you how you beat Swansea now, I'd struggle much more to tell you how to beat the four-three-three and I would the three-five-two. So if I if I can't, then I'm hoping that the opposition managers, the opposition analysts, will find it a bit more tricky to find a definitive game plan to approach a game against Swansea as well. Yeah, I hope, well, hopefully they don't find it too hard, but um, I think. <laughs> I think um, just just trying to think about it, playing like back threes and back fives. If those wing backs don't get forward, you can just have five players deep. Like that's already half your outfielders just sat deep around your own goal, yeah. and um, it, it can become an issue. If you're like yourselves, you play with two strikers. That's quite that can be quite narrow. If they spread wide, they leave space, so they do want to try and get narrow. And then you're leaving three midfielders to come out wide and cover that space where your deep fullbacks aren't getting forward and also protect the middle. It, I think um, it's it's really difficult to see how that can work with a really tight squad for 46 games. I think um, 
you can get so far but we was we spoke about it when we spoke last time you can you can fudge the numbers for a while and just sort of yeah. rely on that individual quality of Gerhi and Cabango and um uh, Bennett came in as well like it's good defenders but after a while it just as you're saying teams can find out where to get the balls in the right areas and then you're not going to defend deep well all season it's just it's really hard um you don't see many teams doing it now expertly i think burnley burnley threw out a really wild season um you had a wild half a season but these yeah. these things level themselves out um we'll come on to him a little bit but woodman looks like he was outperforming yeah i mean this is a top quality keeper we're talking about so i don't want to talk about this negatively but um looks like he's saved around including the playoffs actually why scouts model have him about i think he's about 10 goals better off than um than he probably expected to concede, which is a hell of a, <laughs> it's a hell of a total. Um, yeah, we have to repeat it. Don't need to justify it again. <laughs> I think in order to, uh, if you're talking ten goals, I think that's that's getting near like world class levels of goal. If you do that every season, so I mean there are people who do it, but like more so with um, more so with goals scored. Like I know Messi hits those numbers every season, but to say that. Woodman is the equivalent of Mercy in goals. That would be, uh, <laughs> I think, we're stretching a bit there for honest, aren't we? Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, but yeah, a good keeper and um, not easy to beat. I think that's just the point. It doesn't matter how accurate the numbers are. I think um, you're looking at a keeper that it's difficult to beat him and that also the system in front of him. But there's there's a lot of him in that as well. Um, yeah. What what might be interesting as well, actually, is just to quickly think about. Um, so I think you obviously had quite a deep defensive system, and then it was maybe three stodgy players in the middle um the other ones that are interesting from the squad that we're trying to probably get a bit more game time and maybe make you a little bit more um maybe a little bit more forward thinking are like the Routledge maybe Dander Whitaker, just getting those into teams into the team and I'm not sure how much they were suited to uh, the 5-3-2 um probably principally I mean they could obviously play there but if you're only going to have two midfielder sitting and your next midfielder is Dander you open up a little bit more like you're you're much more of an offensive team than when you have for instance Grimes Corey Smith and um Hurahan or Fulton in one of those positions do you see what I'm getting at there it was is there uh, a little no, bit I... of a shift to to try and think how can we get these guys in the team yeah I think I think we obviously did realize that we weren't utilizing the squad and we had a lot of the personnel like the three you just mentioned there that weren't really suited to the three five two. I mean Routledge he was he's done brilliantly when he got in, reintroduced the run-in unfortunately he's done his ACL now 36 out of contract that could be him done as a player which is you know it's gutting for him to go out like that but um no, I mean, Jan Dander, to be honest, with the switch of system, he hasn't really featured that much anyway. Mm. Um, the three midfielders that were kind of functional in the three-five-two, they sort of have remained functional. We haven't really needed that attack in uh, number 10 because we've got the three front players now. Uh, Morgan Whittaker, yeah, he did have a little bell in the team as well. So same with Liam Cullen coming back in. I think when you're talking about these players being in a two, I think Morgan Whittaker, obviously, very little game time. And you're on when you're in a front two and they're kind of becoming isolated because the wing backs aren't up there to help them. You're relying on them to compete physically a lot. And Morgan Whitaker, I think he's, he has a brilliant potential. He's clear. He's got great technical ability as well. But asking him to do the same job that like Andrea used doing, Jamal Lowe has been doing, being able to handle himself physically at this level on your own without really much help. It, it, it was a tough ask. Now, obviously, you'd back him a lot more coming in on the right wing say, if uh, he does get on the pitch for the playoff final which he could do now like I said I think Wayne Routledge would have started the final um, but obviously he's had his ACL done so you're probably looking 
probably Connor Roberts, I'd imagine now, but it could well be like Liam Cullen, Morgan Whitaker. We've got options. This is the thing in the system. If you had, say, Jamal Lowe do his ACL in that old system, there wasn't really anyone who could come in and do the same job. While Whitaker and Cullen are different to Routledge, they can still come in and have an impact, whereas you couldn't say that before. So this is why, like you say, the switch the four three three, it, it's been it's been a plus point for us. Yeah, let's do a little bit on the key men within it then that make it work. And um, well, both systems really. I think um, are you? Uh, yeah, we can we can talk about are you quickly. We we know what he's about now. He's he's a physical boy. Um, strong touch, protects the ball well on that left side. Well. Um, doesn't need an invite to just bend one into the top corner from that inside right channel. Um, I think the balance, the the, the complement or the foil of him and Lowe is actually a lot better than people give credit for as well. I think Lowe is that um, maybe sort of standing start power that just the push and run, like um, good touch, get it out of his feet and go, and also just covering lots of ground. I use a little bit cuter in like the hold up, but also just very physical as well, and then. Yeah, just uh, just a really dangerous forward line, and I think um, if if you are to win this, it's probably going to be those two. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason that partnership works better than most, like you say, you give it credit for, is I don't think people rate Jamal Lowe highly enough. I think he does have some flaws to his game, so I hope he will continue to iron out. But people are so focused on Andre Ayew that Jamal Lowe often gets left unnoticed. He can hurt you. I think he had more of a purple patch in the middle of the season and that's kind of like given a false sense that he's done this the whole year in terms of his goal scoring output. It hasn't been continuous the whole way. But he can hurt you. He does get you up the pitch, I think. In 1v1 situations, if he has a little bit of space to exploit, he will exploit. I mean, you look at Andrea, you picked up the ball. If teams are smart, then they'll have two, if not three, players just crowding him immediately because they know give him any space whatsoever, Andre Ayew, and he, he somehow wriggles into it. And you saw against Barnsley how he... It, it, he made it look so easy. It's like all the teams uh, are coming up against Ayew. They, they they know he wants to go on his left foot, but somehow it's like they're, they're somehow powerless to, to do anything about it. Like mm. it's, it's the way he angles his body, the way he fakes to go on his right. People keep falling for it, and you give him that space to cut in on the left side. You say, like, if we're going to score, it could well be that sort of situation because... Brentford will know what's coming. It's, it's, it's do they have the people in the right place to stop him, I suppose. Well, yeah, you just look at his last couple of goals and the last few goals you've scored, actually, just on that inside right channel, just curling it. Grimes was similar. Um, rolled a tackle, dummied his way through a tackle um, against Barnsley and then bent one into that corner. I use was is just delicious, the other one against Barnsley. Um, he's done it a few times this season. Uh it is. It's, it's an area of focus. I think that's what Brentford will be looking at this um, this last week. Just if if he is there, just making sure that because they will probably go with the three at the back. I think um, just making sure that there is Norgard or Yonel just in front of that as well. Not making not not allowing him to be dragged off or have too much focus with another player. Or if there is, I mean, it's not like you haven't got other shooters, but he's just got to concentrate on blocking that. Um, that are you that are you special and that individual moment of talent. Um, yeah, so Lo and Ayu are obviously really dangerous, but it's not just those guys. Um, Conor Hurahan's, I don't, I don't know. It depends where you stand on his impact. I think he came in in January, didn't he? Um, scored a couple of important goals early on, which has probably clouded how influential he's been attacking wise. I, I think it's just having like a consistent midfielder that is of quality in your team, week after week after week, who's used to the grind of what standards you need to hit to get into the playoffs. Um, how have you found? Uh, how have you found watching him? Has it been? Has it been exciting? Got off to a brilliant start, like you say. I think he had three from his first three. One of them was that uh, free kick, which we've now determined that was a cross against Brentford. Um, <laughs> 
But no, actually, if you look, if you ask most of the fan base, they'd actually speak negatively of mm. him, and that may surprise a few people. But um, what Aston Villa fans all, all said when he signed him is that you you see the highlights reel of him scoring goal after goal from range, and you get really excited. And I don't think he's a bad player at all. You know, he, he gets into most Championship teams easily. That's the truth of it. But I think off the ball. I don't really think he hits the same heights that any of our other midfielders hit. And I do think in some games he has been a liability in uh, how easily it is for uh, players to dribble past over the ball. I think when he does pick up the ball, he's got an excellent range of passing on him. But I, I don't think he moves along quick enough. And we're not, obviously, we're not renowned for moving the ball quick at all. But it does kind of stint us a bit when you got Geeky progressing into midfield, Grimes progressing into midfield. And it does kind of get stuck with Bidwell and Hurahan on that left side a lot of the time because mm. Bidwell isn't that comfortable opening his body up and playing it on the floor. Hurahan takes his time, so it is, you know, that, that is an issue. But at the same time, I don't want to speak too negatively of Hurahan at all because you can tell from all of his interviews he's done, he's a model professional. I'm sure he's helped the change room a lot and he has helped on the pitch as well. The truth of it is, I think he had the fight, he scored five goals. You can knock him for perhaps the defensive side of the game, but we wouldn't have got to 80 points without it, I'm sure of that. But the amount of points that he did get us, you know, has been an excellent signing. And even if, um, I don't think we'll be able to get him if we stay down, because I'm sure he harbors Premier League ambitions mm. with Bello with a year left on his deal. But if we do go up, I'd have no problem getting him, because you don't really want to lose the core group of players that gets us to the Premier League. So I'd be happy to have him back, regardless of um, maybe some of the minor flaws of his game which you know you you have to accept because the quality he brings with set pieces especially yeah yeah that that shooting thing you said as well like with the with his five goals i think there's a stigma just it's, it just seems like smart thinking to say don't shoot from distance um as much as you used to but i think having the variety and the fear that someone actually can pull the trigger and is dangerous from the edge of the box makes you try it, it forces you to defend it a different way like you're unsure whether you can't allow uh, any space on the edge of the box but then you can't rush out because this person might not shoot it, it just adds a little bit of mystique and I think having that variety and the ability is is definitely a benefit um, let's move to the back a little bit now Mark Gerhi, um yeah what a player like, he's 20 years old I don't know how I, know. I don't know what they've been feeding him but um, he doesn't look 20 um, just so calm on the ball experienced um, uh, yeah he, he's a good player I think playing in a back three as well is also He's not being pushed enough. He could he could defend in a pair, and he could defend well in a pair. Yeah. Um, if you think about like some your back three as well, it wasn't like um, you're not seeing overlapping right centre backs. You're not seeing that pair massively no. progress the ball. It's holding its position. It's giving you like a good three base to to work from, and sometimes you've got another three in front of that as well. So he, he's obviously not being pushed hard enough. But now you're moving into a back four. You're seeing a little bit more of him and what he can do. Um, how have you enjoyed him this year? And do you think he's going to have a big impact on this final? Yeah, I, I mean, I've run out of superlatives for him, to be honest. I think there's, there's as close to 0% chance of us getting him if we stay down, you know, as I could possibly be. Like, it's interesting what you say about the back three. I mean, he was always on the left side of the back three. He's right-footed, but he's just so two-footed that I think a lot of people didn't really notice, to be honest. He was so comfortable on his left foot as well. Didn't really have overlap inside the backs. So not like a Sheffield United sort of system, like you say, but... um. He did venture forward a lot. I think there was a lot of the times where he, you know, he progressed the ball with a you know, vertical pass up to Bidwell. Yeah, good crossfield pass as well, wasn't he? I mean, like, yeah, yeah. But also, there were times where he, you know he, he would just pick up the ball and run, and he, he's deceptively, well, I mean deceptively quick. It's obvious how quick he is, but 
like acceleration wise he does get up to speed pretty quickly so when he you know i don't think a lot of teams in the championship are used to people stepping out with the ball into midfield it's not really something you see at that level a lot but now like you say the switch to the back four i mean the only time he'd been he'd formed part of a back four was uh one or two games he had going back to the back end of last season and for well, a lot of people will be surprised because I, I doubt they really realize he started really poorly at swansea i think a lot of our uh I didn't write him off, but a lot of our fan fan base did write him off. I think he was like our fifth choice for a long time, until um until we brought the back three together, and then you actually started to see how good he was. But now in the two legs against Barnsley, where especially against Barnsley, where we've had the back four, and he's had to deal with Daryl Dike, Carlton Morris. I mean, he he's been absolutely unreal. And Benkabango as well, but especially Gigi. You, you know, like it's 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 not so much just his ability because you you can see how uh, how good he is. You know, on the ball, uh, how good he is in one v ones. It's a decision making. It just goes beyond his years. At twenty years old, like you, I'm, I think I can genuinely remember him making one major mistake in fifty games or whatever he's played for us. We ended up winning that game anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I really hope uh, Thomas Tuchel gives him a chance next season. That, that, that's regardless if we go up, because I think. I do think he deserves to be in more than like a relegation battle or a mid-table Premier League team already. Like I, I think that highly of him. Uh, it's one of those players. Give it eighteen months, two years. I could easily see you know a potential England call up in there, despite however many England centre backs there are, because it, you you have a big choice at the moment, obviously. Mm. But but no, like I said, I've, I've run out of words to say how good he is. I can't really do any more than what I've just said, unfortunately. But he, you know, he. he you know, he deserves everything that's going to come his way in the next year and a bit. Mm, yeah, I've seen prominent analysts online saying that um, he should feature for Chelsea next year. Like, there's not really too many um, questions about it. Like, get him into the team. If he's not really close to the first team in the squad, um, that's, how I think, how highly he's rated. Whether whether that happens or whether he's, because he is only 20, whether he's allowed to have another year and get even better, we'll, we'll see. Um, we spoke a little bit about, about Woodman already, so I'll, I won't, go on too much about him but he's on loan as well isn't he um yeah is it is that what do you think is that likely to continue beyond this or is that is it sort of in the air is he happy here he's he's growing as well looks like a quality keeper it's his second year he's been with you isn't it now um yeah feel it looks like he's at home i I don't know what his future like where it lies i mean he's extremely happy i think uh go back a year ago and he said he wanted to come back he he didn't even move the stuff out of his flat he carried on renting it just he was that he he was just trying to do everything he could to push through another loan move signed a three-year deal in the summer with newcastle so he'll have two years left on his deal coming this summer i believe he's just said another interview recently i want to come back again you know these these are things that players don't usually come out and say they'd normally keep their uh cards close to his chest but he's made no secret how much he loves it here like he, he's talked about how he's grown as a person how he's grown as a footballer you've got steve cooper as brilliant nurturing young players martin margotson you know he's part of the england setup like at senior level so you can't really be working with anyone better as far as the goalkeeping coaches go so he loves the year um obviously i think everyone would love woodman back it's, it's just a case of with Newcastle loan him out again, I think the saving grace could obviously be they've got Martin Dubravka and uh, Carl Darlow, so it's two excellent keepers already. It, it just gets to a point where, if you're looking at Newcastle, like, you, you'd be loaning him out to the same club for a third season in a row, it gets to a point where, like, you've either got to use him or you've got to, like, cash in because, like, how much more is his value really going to grow in a year, I guess, is what Newcastle would be wanting. Do they have serious intentions of using him? I'd probably be saying... No, because Martin Dubravka, I think he's still got four years left and he's regained the first team place. Carl Darlow has been excellent. 
it's just a case of if we go up, then I could easily see us buying him. Hmm. If not, it's a case of if there's another suit, a Newcastle may well look to cash in. That's the way. I, that's that's how I would approach it anyway. So we said at the outset you were lucky enough to be at the Barnsley match um, in the last round, uh, which begrudgingly I don't like talking about refs, but I'm going to um, moves us nicely onto this bit. Uh, like, how much do you think? Um, so, how much do you think sort of fans in the ga- in the ground influence like like the discrete moments in the game? Um, maybe influence over referees and some of the decision making, which because it, it was quite noticeable at Brentford's match that um, the fans definitely impacted decisions. Um, did anything stand out to you in that game? Yeah, I mean, I watched the Brentford game, and I definitely agree with you there. Like, the handball, mm. I think that's the sort of decision that I've seen a lot of championship referees. In the Premier League, they are, I guess, given the pen easily, because literally, whether it's right or wrong, the, the, the stupid handball rule, whether it hits the defender's hand, is a pen. But this year, I think a lot of championship referees have kind of turned a blind eye to that rule. No one likes it, is the truth of it. Mm. Um, but no, I, I do genuinely think that that penalty for Brentford, without without the Brentford fans there, I think that's questionable, if I guess, if uh, the ref actually to give that but at the Swansea game I'm not, I'm not saying that maybe it didn't affect like you know the odd 50-50 decision for like a free kick or throw in here and there we didn't really have any key decisions there was no like yellow which could have been a red there was no real serious penalty claim is the truth of it either and that's going across the two legs to be honest so there wasn't you know I, I don't really think the fans impacted it in the two Barnsley and Swansea games but I, I do think that it could have if there was a decision there which you know needed a sway from the fans one way or another it maybe would have had an impact but in this case it didn't yeah I, I, the only reason i brought it up because i think it was just so noticeable in the brentford match that them that once um bournemouth were down to 10 men like the, the crowd the crowd were really up for it anyway but I, I think you just saw how these games are just so different with um with just even four thousand fans in the ground and especially just from being yeah. one team as well like um uh, I forget the study exactly now, but it was just looking at the influence of referees and um, when like having no fans in grounds. And the, the conclusion they came to is that um, uh, when, a, when a referee is there and it's just two professional teams and the referee's in the middle of it, there's a lot more of a collaborative approach to managing the game, um, looking at just outcomes and just we're all in this this idea of like we're all in this together we've got two professional teams, it's the ref, we're, we're trying to make sure everything's fair and um, there's not so much trying to push your push your luck um and the referee just goes about it but you introduce um a partisan crowd into one of the teams and it's almost impossible to ref it as fairly because the referee has the influence of another few thousand set of people which are fooling his decisions or 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 not giving him the time or space to breathe and then he doesn't have enough reason to to back up his decision so it, it does change things i think we can see that it does um and yeah, I, I think it was just um, just clear. I wanted to clear up if you thought anything pushed up on your side that maybe not been given, but it doesn't seem like um, it was quite as obvious. And um, which is probably a good thing, I guess. <laughs> it's not. Um, yeah. It's not a bad thing. Um, something I do want to just touch on quickly as well before we um, before I ask you whether um, I think something's going to change with your team, um, but. At the outset, I said to you, have you been overlooked? I just wanted to think, just see, pick your brains maybe if it's, um, is, is it like, um, this, I guess what I'm getting at is like defensively, do you think that's a bit like being a good, solid defensive team, does that get overlooked a little bit, do you think? Um, is that is that sort of painted in a negative light that you're sort of defensive first? Um, I think it comes down to context. And it's mm. like just a couple of examples. If you looked at the way Watford played this season you, you know you, you could say they're well structured but you look at the numbers and do they back it up and the answer is yeah they they, they they conceded what 
you know they were expected to. You look at us, and that's not the case. We've outperformed us significantly. And then you talk about solid and does defensive ability get overlooked? I mean, multiple ways of defending. If you look at Leeds last season, they had I think the best defensive record in the league. But there's a stark contrast in the way mm. Leeds defended, the way basically anyone else defends, especially Swansea. Um, so I guess it just kind of comes down to is there an attacking game plan in place that backs up the reasons to be defensive and also are they actually defensively solid or are they just lucky is, is, is the truth of it and I mean over 46 games I, I, I think lucky is probably a bit harsh to harsh a word to put on Swansea because you know you expect over 46 games it to align more with what was expected mm. if there were underlying problems there but then the truth is I think if you had another 10 games we probably would have continued to get closer to the number of expected goals that we would have conceded so um yeah, I, I don't really think it's too bad the way that Swansea have been interpreted this season, to be honest. I think maybe from the punditry sort of side of it, a lot of people still believe because of Swansea's, you know, many years in the Premier League under, you know, Rodgers, Laudrup and so on, that we still play brilliant football. The truth <laughs> is it's not really the same anymore. If you watch this every week, you know it's not the same anymore, but... um. It, yeah, yeah, I don't really have too many complaints if anyone has a negative conversation of the way we defend, to be honest, because I, I, I'll be the first to admit it's not pretty on the eye, but it's, it's, it's like I said earlier, it's got us to where we are, so uh, I, I don't really think you can call it a bad thing, to be honest, to play off campaigns back-to-back with two million spent or something stupid whatever it is yeah yeah you, you can see through the pundits or like the media people that say that that talk about swansea and like this attacking verve and like this quality force going forward you they kind of expose they haven't actually watched you very much and um, it's just something to fall back on for the last maybe five six years or whatever um but that, i think i think that's quite interesting um yeah you're, you're not a free-flowing team but i, I think there is when it works and when it gets forward to IU and it's you get IU forward and a team hasn't had a big chance to get numbers back or he is on the ball there there is a precision to it and I think it's just he's good at basically he's good at separating himself and getting space and receiving the ball so it can look fluid and it can look precise yeah. I think it just happens so frequent infrequently sorry that um uh, it's hard to say that that's your game plan and that's what you do. I think if you're just watching the highlights, then maybe it looks, it can look a yeah. lot better than it is aesthetically. I mean, the one thing we do have is, like you say, we're good in the wide areas. I think for some for some odd reason, we you know we, we're quite direct at times, to be honest. And uh, but then you get to the final third, and you, we we kind of try to do a three v two overload if we can, and sometimes we are able to. The full-backs try to act as wing-backs when we have the ball as much as possible. Then you'll have some of the members of the midfield cover. And when we do get three players out wide, we do interchange quite quickly and rotate and look to move it quickly. I, it frustrates me because you can see how you know we, we move the ball so quickly in tight areas there. and We're rotating and we're doing everything that we should be doing across the span of the whole pitch. But for some reason, we choose to only do it in those wide areas. It, 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 it does make me think that... If Steve Cooper wanted to make us more open and try, you know, tr- try and not make the game so tight, he could. But he does genuinely believe this is the best way to approach the games and give us the best chance of winning. And it's hard to disagree with him, to be honest. I think if you open the games up, it, it comes down a lot more to the quality of both teams. And all in all, I think you know the fact we stayed in an automatic promotion race with you know teams who are superior to us, like on paper for so long, it it, it does show that you know there is a method. To, uh, what what he's doing, I, I I do think we can play better than what we do, but this is probably what works best results wise. And to be fair, we got past probably one of the best team. Well, I think one of the best form teams in the league in Barnsley since October. 
So um, you, you know it works. You can't deny it works. This is the frustrating thing when um, you, you see the style of play. But you know we're here. We are. Yeah, here. yeah. You are. You are. You're here. You've earned it. I think. Um, yeah, I, I do think actually. I'll just um, finish on that quickly. Um, I think you're right about like playing a rotation game against Brentford. So Brentford obviously rotate players quite fluidly. There's a lot of movement. I think if you're going to come up against Brentford and do something similar, you've got to be very good. Like you've got to be Norwich good, or even higher. And otherwise, you're you're kind of opening yourself up to a game where Brentford are probably going to beat you. And I think Bournemouth fell into that trap a little bit as well. Um, Woodgate probably showed his naivety in thinking that he could play that game where Billing would rotate into the left wide area. Um, the wing backs would overlap, the full backs would overlap a little bit, Dan Juve would come inside and it's a, it's a dangerous game to play against Brentford because they're designed to cope with that and also pick you off at the other end. <laughs> it's like um Yeah, exactly. And should you is is Swansea's is Swansea's route um or, or plan or style correct to play against Brentford because you, you haven't been beat you you've conceded territory but you've kept players in good positions. It's not like you're um offering up big transitional moments like Bournemouth sometimes did. It's it's more you're giving up territory and then you're asking you're, you're playing to your strengths of like the goalkeeper and then um, the high quality centre back so I don't know I don't think we should look too far down in it is what probably my overall point I think there's yeah. um, there's a way to there's a way to play and there's a there's some there's some ways that coaches don't want to play um, just leading on from that then do you think so before Brentford played Bournemouth I was convinced actually that they switched to a back three they played it earlier in the season um they defended poorly in a four. I don't think any of their defenders are... I, I don't know. They they had good games in that first match um, when they kept us out and they won 1-0. I think they defended better than they had done for almost years, actually. It was a really good performance with Carter Vickers and big Steve Cook. He went off injured. Mepham came in. But the, the second match... Um, Obviously, they went down to 10 men quite early, but I think they defended poorly. And I thought they changed system just to try and get themselves through a match-up with Brentford a little bit more. Um... Do you think there's any chance that you change? Do you think you'll stick with this four? I know Norton plays on the right, so it's hard to say that a four because a lot of the times it will move to a three with Bidwell maybe pushing on a little bit on his left. I, I don't know. I see it like a bit more asymmetrical than just a flat four with Norton holding a position a bit more. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Do you think there's any chance of a change or, or is it sticking with what's got you this far now? Yeah, I, th- I think it's unlikely that we change, if I'm honest. I, th- I think that, that there was a sense that we may go to a back five for the first leg against Barnsley because... Obviously, in the regular season, we beat them 2-0 twice with that back five. Um, I think what I kind of expected, well, not expected, I thought there was a chance that in that first leg, we'd go to a back five, just try and get a draw to come back home, and then uh, switch back to the back four and win at home, but that obviously didn't happen. I think now, if Cooper would get so many pieces of criticism if he switches to the back three or five, and then we get battered in the final because he switched the back four results, maybe not performances, but results have you know improved quite significantly because we lost four on the bounce and uh, with that back five. And to be fair, before that four on the bounce, we'd won three in a row. But I think we probably deserved a draw at most out of those three games, to be quite honest. So, uh, like the truth is, if we go back to that back three, Brentford know exactly how to beat us. I, I-, I realize in the regular season back at the Liberty, it was one all, but. Truth be told, that could that probably should have been more like three 0 it, it was complete one way dominance for the entire ninety minutes, and I see no reason why that would change this time round. To be quite honest, so um, uh, it, it'll probably be the back four, and we'll have to keep it tight for the ninety minutes. I'd imagine. Mm. Okay, Ben, I'm going to ask you to 
run through your predicted starting 11 um, from back to front. Um, I think I know a little bit of it, but I'm I'm in a few positions. But yeah, it'd be great to hear yours. Uh, right, so back four, I think it's pretty set. It's just going to be Freddie Woodman, unfortunately, for Roberts, a right back. Norton's better suited to a back four. So it'll be Kyle Norton, a right back. Jake Bidwell, left, left back. And then Benga Bango and Mark Ehe at the centre-backs. Uh, midfield three, two definite ones will be Matt Grimes and Jay Fulton. The one constant debate you get is should it be Connor Hurahan or should it be Corey Smith? Um, Hurahan got referred in both of the playoff games. I I, I think obviously you know we, we made it through on both legs. I think you'll keep the midfield the same. There's an argument you want Corey Smith just because you, you want to be able to battle in midfield. He's better pressing, better defensively, especially like uh, you know in one v one situations. I'd say, but uh, I, I think Cooper believes in Hurahan and you'll want a big. You'll want someone who you know he's want to play our final before you want you want them there again uh to help the boys through and then obviously i mentioned earlier wayne routledge is uh unfortunately injured he's going to miss the game um he would have started so now you're looking at jamalo and andrea you will still be on the front three but it's more a case of where they'll feature on the front three so the options you've got you've got liam cullen connor roberts and morgan whitaker will be one of those three um and i'm just because I think we're going to have to cover a lot of territory. I'll probably be looking at Connor Roberts as the most likely one. So you'll most likely feature on the right wing, which would then mean you've got Ayu and Jamal Lowe. You'll probably be looking at Jamal Lowe on the left wing and Ayu up front. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, Roberts actually inverts inside to allow Ayu that space on the right, because that's where he's going to do his... Uh, he's going to, going to be at his uh, most dangerous, I'd say. Yeah, I think I had something similar. I think I think the big debates are Corey Smith, yeah, whether he plays. I think um, if it goes to um, extra time and you need extra legs coming on and just a bit of impetus, Smith's quite good at that, isn't he? That's He can be effective there. But Roberts, yeah, I, I think Roberts could be a bit of a weapon down the right-hand side. Brentford's left um, with Canos down that wing. Um, there won't be any Rico Henry. It'd be interesting to see how that battle plays out I, th- I think you yeah I, th- I like your team actually I think um it's quite interesting actually probably sounds about similar to what I'd be thinking um with Routledge out injured but yeah Roberts in central yeah. is quite a quite um an interesting thought as well um but yeah best of luck Ben um but yeah thanks so much for joining me um I've been I really enjoyed speaking to you this season it's been great um probably dare I say it a bit more than watching your team <laughs> <laughs> But one of us is not going to be in this division next year. Who do you think it's going oh, to be? Sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is sad. It's weird, isn't it? Like we've sort of been stalwarts of the championship for so long now. Yeah. Um, how do you think it's going to go? And uh, I guess before that, before the flow, like which who do you think this will impact more? Like not going up this season. I believe your parachute payments run out this year. Do they? Is it the final year? Yeah. Um, there's, there's there's multiple ways of looking at it. And there's finance. There's a psychology. I mean, either way, one of us is going to lose two playoff campaigns back to back. The difference of you is you could lose two playoff finals back to back, which could be, you know, as much as everyone in Brentford believes in the process, they believe it'll be a matter of when, not if, you get promoted. That's going to sting if that happens a lot. Um, Finances wise, both both clubs are actually really good financially at the moment. It's not like Villa a couple of years ago where if they if they lost they were gonna like liquidate or whatever. That was like crazy. Um Brentford probably stronger for it if they lose financially. I mean we're not in debt or anything. One of the very few clubs are actually posting profits um in the latest accounts, which is brilliant to see. But you, you know, you you break it down. I use on eighty k a week out of contract, so hundred percent he's gone. Like it's, it's a fact he's gone. If we lose this game, we could be seeing him for the last time. Marky, as I said, any chance of getting him back depends on promotion. 
could well be the case with Freddie Woodman as well. Conor Horahan goes back to Villa if we stay down and probably doesn't return. Um, then you look at the case, parachute payments run out, so that's another 15 million that uh, uh, we lose in income. So, you, you know, you look at Mac Grimes and Conor Roberts, both one year left in the deal. Bournemouth almost came in for Roberts a couple of years ago. Grimes almost went to Watford in the summer, so there's every chance one of them leaves to get the necessary revenue as well. And then you're looking at the fact that you've got West Brom without a manager, Palace without a manager. We've been, I'm talking about Steve Cooper now. I think Cooper was one of the favourites for Palace when, um, as soon as that, as soon as Hodgson left. You know, as much as I think Cooper's grateful that Swansea gave him the opportunity straight out of youth football into the Championship, and I think he was willing to accept a League Two job. He just wanted a pro job. Um, at the end of the day, as football, uh, you can't really have these sort of loyalties. If you have a chance to go to the Premier League, I wouldn't blame him for taking it at all. You could be looking at a case if you lose one game and then all of a sudden you're losing five key players and your manager and then all of a sudden it's a massive rebuild, rebuilding job for whoever comes in straight after. But that's football, isn't it? So it's um, <laughs> yeah, it means more to Swansea at this point, I think. And Brentford, you'd expect to chug on and do what they do and just try and keep it keep it going um obviously inevitably maybe one some players. told me short yeah probably <laughs> i think um he seems quite an ambitious guy um but yeah ben honestly awesome chatting to you um yeah i'm quite glad swansea did draw brentford because we got to chat again um whereabouts can we find you online uh, do you want to just um uh, tell uh, people if, if you want to follow me on twitter the username would be jack army underscore i you know follow swansea a lot on the efl so just my views would be on there i guess yeah, great stuff. But again, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, best of luck for Saturday, but not too much luck. Um, and yeah, maybe yeah, same goes. Uh, thank you very much for having me. No problem at all. We might chat afterwards as well if it's um, if it's amicable and it's been a smooth game. If there's any big talking yeah, points, yeah, one of us I don't think is going to be too keen to chat, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, thanks again, and um, yeah, catch you soon. Yeah.